Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was supposed to be my intro. Uh, I was at a party last night, and someone was expressing how annoying it is to hear the phrase like, uh, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." No. Hmm. You know what I mean? I mean like a bunch no, of yeses. I, I, I think about that a lot because. I think the Minnesotan thing is like, uh, no, yeah, no. And the West Coast thing is like, yeah, no, yeah, I think is like the, the stereotypes. Is it flipped around? No, I'm saying but both of those function in opposite ways. Yeah. So it's like an intensifier no. to, 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 no, negate it. yes, I acknowledge what you're saying. No, or yes. N- yes. No, no we're, we're not in, we're in agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. exactly. I, th- I think that's, yes. I think that's how it goes. Does that actually bother you? Like, is this a topic that got brought up because... Uh, no, 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 no. It doesn't bother me. Someone else just brought it up. And then, of course, for the next 45 minutes, every single person was going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yes. It is pretty yeah. naturalized, isn't it? It's just a sound at this point. Just one big sound. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody knows what, you know, the words yes or no, I mean, everybody... It's mostly Classic, like, like body language who knows, at a certain you know, who point, can right? Tell. Like, are you kind of nodding, you know, in agreement? I've yeah, seen yeah. that, like, across literally world cultures, a palms up, like, shrug is like a universal sign of, like, I do not know this thing. Mm. It's, uh, it reminds me of the break. Wait, who is that? That's not, that's not Cody or Harry. Who, oh my God. Who, who could this I forgot be? to introduce. My God. We haven't even gotten to the episode <laughs> intro yet. Uh, I, I, I have, I have to get through that. Uh, and then we can, once, once our guest has we can start thoroughly goofing. milked up his throat, he can get yeah. on mic. We have, uh, this is, well, <clears throat> you, I guess I should, uh, preface with, uh, thank you very much for listening to Try Love, literal roundtable podcast. It is about movies, movies we saw, I'm a little liquored up, movies we saw, people we met, or things we did at the Trial on Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trial of Podcast. You can find the Trial on at Trial on Cinema and at trialon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Oh, wait, wait, wait. My name is Jason Daphnis. I've won a lot of arguments with a lead pipe. You can find oh. me on Twitter at nintendoofus.com. Uh, and my name is Aaron. No, that was my, we were, we were guessing over whether we were going to, going to overlap here. Uh, no, that was my first one. And then I quickly Ooh. overrode it with, uh, uh, my name is Aaron, and there's nothing I like better than to meet a high-class mama who can snap them back at you. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Oh, uh, and I have to int- I, I, I'm just so used to it. This yes. is such an aberration from the format uh, that I must, in fact, introduce our yes. very special guest, returning guest to the podcast, uh, Seth Zarati. Seth, introduce yourself. Hi. Thank you. Take me with you, Peter and Jason and Aaron. Take me oh. to your island. I want to do all those things we've talked about. <laughs> you can find me at SN Zarati. Thank you for bringing me on. Now, uh, you, might have, yeah. you might have been able to tell, uh, dear listener, that there are a couple of voices yes. missing. Uh, one voice swapped in. Um, this, was, this is an unusually structured episode, but hey, we'll get a little looser with it, have it a lot more, uh, <clears throat> have some fun. Um, but yeah. uh, I, should, I should ask Seth, were you prepared to say uh, Peter and Jason, and, oh, and Cody and Harry and Aaron? If everybody was going to be on this podcast, were you prepared for that quote to extend into mentioning everybody's names? 
Then you forget uh, one person. No, honestly, I wanted to do a shapely quote, but then I figured let's spread the love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna be Speaking talking about spreading shape. love, guys. Can we get a round of applause for women, real quick? Just just one more hot <laughs> round of applause for everybody for women. Not shapely. I even see Aaron. Actually, doing it. you know he, what? He doesn't like uh, it usually, but he's yeah. in on the bit this time. Clark Gable also giving his fair share of uh, uh, misogynistic comments. Pretty good, pretty film. good. Uh, um, yeah, in a more kind of roguish, lovable manner, but still, he does. You he know. does end up. One of his final lines in the movie is, uh, "All women, you're beautiful. All women are beautiful," and runs out of the room, which is a gigantic <laughs> mood. Uh, there, there we go. I uh, there we go. thank you yeah. very much, Seth, for for being on this episode. Um, this was going to be a weird episode, no matter what. But I'm glad it's weird in this way. Yeah. Uh, I you heard one of us cracking a can open, Aaron. What are you sucking on? It's well, it's, it's a silly up as uh, Harry and Cody are on assignment. So I thought I would. Uh, I'm drinking a uh, Vandermill totally roasted hard cider. Ooh. Yeah. So I am currently drinking a Strongbow, uh, the gentleman's choice for uh, beers or excuse me, ciders you can find. The gentleman's, the Strongbow, the Strongbow is the, is the one. No, I, I like no, Strongbow. Ma- I, Ma- you know, Ma- I won't Ma- insult Ma- Strongbow. Ma- is my favorite, but, but not a whole lot of places yeah. around here carry it. Um, there are some locals that are pretty good. This is not cider cast. This is well, maybe it is cider cast. This is might be Seth. Are you drinking cast. a cider? I am not. Uh, Magner's is oh. the rogue's choice as opposed to <clears throat> Strongbow, the gentleman's choice. I am drinking uh, eggnog Ooh. with bourbon and cinnamon and nutmeg and clove. Wow, bringing the Christmas. The Christmas, Christmas class, spirit yeah. To this non-technically, this is a film we haven't introduced, but this is a film much like Philadelphia Story that you think like, wait, is this a Christmas movie? And then you get halfway through and you're like, I don't think this. No, is this is a, a this Christmas. Is a Christmas. They're laying in a Jacksonville hayloft. They're not. This isn't a Christmas it's, movie. It feels like kind of like a Christmas movie. I, I guess. Know. I guess it's a Capra it joint. It is a Capra yeah, joint. It's got some yeah. affiliation. Um, you know, uh, which brings me to my next point. We should probably talk about what this movie actually is, what it's called, yeah. who made it, who's in it, all that kind of stuff. The classic patented Aaron Grossman summary. Take it away. We are talking about It Happened One Night, 1934 film uh, directed by Frank Capra, uh, as previously mentioned. Film stars Claudette. Oh, this is actually. So the film stars Claudette. It's okay. uh, It's okay. Colbert or Colbert, kind of whatever you Mm. want. I believe technically it is Colbert, uh, but she kind of, uh, I guess, the opposite of the uh, Stephen Colbert thing. Very early on, she was like kind of typecast as like a French a French a person in films. Yeah. And so she said, no, it's it's Colbert. But I think it's actually Colbert. And then she switched back hmm. using Colbert. Anyway, uh, Claudette Colbert uh, as Ellen Andrews, uh, the daughter of a multimillionaire uh, who runs away from her father, played by Walter Connolly. After he disagrees uh, with the man that she wants to marry, uh, the the kind of fiancé is kind of a uh, maybe a money hungry kind of uh, uh, is you it, know, one of is those it fellows. King Whiteley, very... what is his name? It's it's uh it's it's King Wesley, West. uh, played by Jameson <laughs> Thomas. Here, uh, it, it's described on Wikipedia as a fortune hunter, which is also what I do in my spare time. <laughs> um, so uh, respect. Uh, Claudette jumps off of. Her father's boat, uh, kind of having a conversation with him, and swims all the way to shore, and eventually ends up on a Greyhound bus traveling to New York City. Uh, on the bus, she meets recently fired newspaper editor Peter Warren, played by Clark Gable, uh, played roguishly by Clark Gable here, uh, who plans to use their chance encounter as the basis of an exclusive newspaper story. Uh, however, they obviously fall in love, and, and you get the you get the rest of the film. Uh, the film also stars, notably, most notably. Roscoe Carnes uh, as Dark Horse Little Freak of the Year candidate Oscar Shapley. Oh, my God. Uh, really s- just 
selling it. We'll we'll touch on him. Uh, I'm sure in a minute. Uh, the film was a massive hit. Uh, one, it's one of those films that won all five major Academy Awards. Um, would anybody? Lo- well, so the the five are best picture director, actor, actress, and apparently kind of a weird fifth one, adapted screenplay. I guess that was maybe a little more kind of common back in the day when most, not most films, but a lot of films were adapted from plays and and books and whatnot. That obviously still happens a lot today, but back then it was like uh, more prominent even. So I guess those are considered kind of the big five. Do you want to guess the the other two? Or maybe somebody just kind of knows this fun fact. Can you go back through uh, the first three again? Uh, no, sorry. Uh, guess the other two films that have won all oh, five. It's best yeah. picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and uh, best adapted taxi screenplay. Dri- taxi Driver films. and um, uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, bzz, wrong. <laughs> Seth, do you want to guess? <sighs> Cody would nail this, I think. Yeah, I, think I know, I know that he would. Um, yeah, he's, or at least he's screaming at his headphones right sure. now. Sure. I'm trying to think about movie, like because I know that Lord of the Rings did not win actor or actress. Uh, yeah. so that, that was like my fir- fellowship of the ring or no return. Lord of the, King. Lord of the um, Rings is one of the ones that won like a ton, you know, 11 yeah. or yeah, yeah. But, uh, who, uh, gone with the wind. No, is that one? Okay. No, that's, that was uh, my, my guess. The other two were, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and silence of the lambs. Oh, wow. Okay. There you go. Yes. I, I mean, that makes sense. Silence of the lambs was kind of contested because I believe it, it maybe should not have. Let's just say the the best actor is maybe maybe more of a supporting actor in that film mm. if you actually But he carved really out his it down, niche. It's but, about making your yes. role more important than it was supposed to be. That's acting. So, you know what? And if, if you trick people into putting you in the best actor category, maybe you deserve it. Maybe you are the best actor. Who who can who say? Who can say? If uh, also, uh, just kind of wrap this uh, very silly summary up for the bow. Uh, this film is also just kind of generally regarded as one of the first often called like the first romantic comedy films. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily 100% accurate, but you know, it, it kind of helped uh, to cement a lot of the, um, you know, kind of the tropes and whatnot that are, that are kind of commonly understood to be in the genre. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's, that's it happened one night. Oh, we're done with that. We can talk about whatever we want, folks. Yeah. Uh, well, that was the discussion. Of the you movie. guys see the game um, awards. <laughs> <laughs> you watched that sick France win the other day. Uh, no, like, yeah, that's right. I, we can start wherever we like, but I just have to remark that like this, this series of the trial on uh, prototypes for the rom-com is sort of digging into movies that came before the genre was formalized when, you know, genre mixing was sort of like, I won't say new, but it was starting to gain popularity and you had bigger actors and bigger directors and stuff attached to the general concept of like, we can actually make this a movie about love and that's funny and it recognizes the fun and love and the love and all that kind of stuff. But this one feels, I guess the only one we've covered so far has been um, The Philadelphia Story. Great movie. Go check it out. Check out our episode 203 about it. But this one feels like more definitely prototypical where not all the pieces tend to like fit evenly and equally like in the, mm-hmm. in the, Philadelphia, excuse me, in the Philadelphia Story. The whole deal is that there is a very funny movie at the same time. It's also very romantic and very sad. This movie tends to vacillate between those where it's like, oh, this is the scene where we're actually like this is for comedic relief or this is for X, Y, Z. And then it just sort of builds and uh, plays with those one scene after another that sort of does each does different things until finally we get this climax that is very romantic and also very funny um, in a lot of ways uh, beyond just like what's on the screen and how they're writing it uh, more into the context of its release. But I found it very interesting that like, this is a movie I hadn't seen. It's from 1934. So like onset of the Hayes code, I guess the proper like actual implementation and upholding of the, of the yes. Hayes code four months before the Hayes code started to really get right. like 
so they started cracking down, which on is going to yeah. be a lot of fun to talk about because this movie does toy with that in a lot of fun ways. But just seeing that, like, oh, we've built the bones of both the romance and the comedy in this movie, and I just didn't expect it to be so like I won't say uneven, but not integrated in the way that I would have thought. Um, did that really? Did that, did that make? I mean, like, it's still still I, very good, like effective in both halves, but they felt like halves rather than like one consistent whole to me. I, I think I I kind of disagree with that, or maybe. Uh, Maybe I don't necessarily have any big bones to pick with that, but I would say that for me, this film, you know, kind of seen as a film that is often regarded as like the first or one of the first, I think you can like totally see it. Like, especially, uh, you know, the kind of the, the big third act um, complications that happen around this letter being sent and this amount that uh, Clark Gable's character wants to pay and the confusion around um, is Claudette going to marry uh, kind of this old guy or, or, mm-hmm. or, or Peter um, all of that felt like very, I don't know, kind of standard rom-com, yeah. right? Like, oh, there's this wedding. She runs out of the wedding. Toward the end, They sure. end up getting married. Yeah, the idea of like, hey, meeting this kind of roguish character who who kind of, you know, uh, you know who meets this um, kind of uh, young, spoiled, kind of uh, arrogant in a lot of ways uh, woman who comes from, from money. And he kind of completes her in a way by showing her the side of life that she hasn't seen before. Mm-hmm. That feels, I think, um, like much more of like laying the foundations for for the genre right. in a way that like I think is like totally understandable. Mm-hmm. I think like the other part of it for me um, is that not to shit on the Philadelphia story too much. <gasps> I don't like that film, but I think one thing we did talk about in that film is that it is um, from a writing standpoint kind of messy, right? Like there it's are a lot busy. of character decisions and yes, it's much more busy and there's a lot of kind of plot moments that that are entertaining in the moment. We kind of still went for them due to the charm of the film mm-hmm. and the actors and whatnot, but maybe don't feel like they make as much sense kind of taken as a whole. Where this film, with maybe one or two exceptions around, for me, uh, the father figure um, played by Walter Connolly, uh, and around how quick he is to kind of fall for uh, uh, Peter Warren. Mm-hmm. I think like other than like that, which is kind of like a very small thing for me, I think this film is like, kind of wrapped up in like this neat little bow. I don't know if, if that's like it, all the little parts work very well. It's a simpler film compared to something mm-hmm. like the Philadelphia story, but I think it like it, I think works better right. due to that simplicity and, in a weird and way. And I think that's why I even bring up the, uh, the Philadelphia story is because it is, I think it's a better perfected version of this. Uh, like you said, like you see all the foundational elements. I don't know that I see them like humming like a clean engine um, Seth, you watched this sure. movie with me a matter of hours ago. Did did you have any thoughts about the like broader bringing together of the rom and the com in rom com? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I definitely <laughs> yeah. felt um, a little bit of throwback to some other try uh, try love episodes. It felt prototypical for a genre that is yet to come and become solidified in the same way that to live and die in L.A was like this prototype yeah. of like now we're talking about of, yeah, dog. <laughs> of, of, of like the there were like seeds of like what would become the buddy cop genre uh because i remember during that episode there were a lot of parallels to like oh this is like lethal weapon um but it was before lethal weapon had even come out yeah when i was watching um it happened one night i kept thinking Oh, there are there are tropes here, and even just the characters, like the archetypes that they play, 
I have seen this. Uh, and honestly, the first thing that came to mind was Aladdin. I was like, this is mm. totally like the inspiration for Disney's Aladdin mm. where, uh, yeah, like Clark Gable is Aladdin and there is this sort of spoiled princess character. And, but even what really drove it home for me was the father uh, where it's like, oh, it's this well-intentioned, but a little naive. And they turn that up in Aladdin, mm-hmm. um, you know, by a thousand yeah. percent to turn the Sultan into like a, a sort of bumbling, you know, character. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely saw like, oh, here is how these things kind of come together. I did think the third act, once we get back to New York, felt very rushed and it felt yep. more like, okay, now we're just hitting beats mm-hmm. rather than like things falling into place. So that was the only part where I was like, oh, we're jumping between story moment and romance moment and comedy moment. Yeah, yeah. The rest of it, it was very enjoyable. The the to talk really quick about the father character, I do think that like the the father, Walter Connolly, uh, playing Alexander uh, Andrews in this film, uh, is playing, I think, like one of the great archetypes for like older men in film, which is like the disapproving father who is like disapproving due to uh, maybe like generally good reasons. Oh, yeah, who yeah, then yeah. kind of comes around and like really understands this is what my it's usually a daughter unfortunately due to maybe some you know fucked up gender right. stuff but like who comes around and is like if it's what really makes you happy i mean pride and prejudice that is the the goat that right, is right. like the greatest of all time like father figure uh coming around but like i think uh 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 the the andrews character in this kind of like i think for a film that is like so before that kind of thing would get cemented at least for me in like film uh i'm playing a pretty good version of that yeah. like again he is still kind of like a kind of like a rich dick yeah he's I still kind of a white i don't rich necessarily dick. know why i should like right, him right but, but like I, I don't i kind of do well, that's what i was remarking on was um for the first two acts like he is sort of in the background is like oh my father's men are coming to get me my like he's sort of like the villain for the first couple acts and then when finally uh uh, what is your name? Uh, it's not. It's Ellen. Ellen. Ellen Andrews. Thank you. Um, Ellen or Ellie. Ellie yes. or Claudette or Colbert or Colbert, depending on what sure. you really want to call her. Pick um, poison. Ellen. When Ellen finally gets back to New York, when she gives up the charade with with Peter um, and ends up back in New York with her father and with King, uh, she, then all of a sudden her dad is like, well, what do you want, honey? Like, do you really love this man that you're about to marry? And it's like, oh, well, I remember that's actually consistent with his character from the beginning, but his character in the beginning, when we got the most uh, out of him was he was sort of a, an angry sea captain. And then he was back in New York sending detectives and, you know, uh, private dicks after her to, you know, go fuck their shit up and bring her back home. Like, I guess the signaling there has rings truer than a whole lot of, um, for like a whole lot of the genre that came later than the actual, like, use of him in the plot like i didn't get sultan vibes from him for the first two-thirds of the movie i didn't get ladybird dad from him for the first two-thirds of the movie sure uh but then in the third in the third act it's like oh of course like he did, he never wanted her to marry king um because she knew he knew that that like i guess the reasons weren't clear there for me at the beginning because i had these assumptions of a whole lot of rom-coms um and a whole lot of like romance movies that have come since where the father character the person in power is trying to like quash true love in favor of an arranged marriage or whatever the, the father is wrong and uh an earnest plea by like the daughter like sells him on right it. he says ah yes, and he kind of yes. never needs that because she starts as sort of a petulant child she doesn't really know yeah. what she wants 
uh, by her own admission, King was the first man she was ever alone with. Uh, and she met him by running into his car, you know, and he probably swindled her out of a number of things. Like he's, it turns out to be a got bad guy, obviously. But, um, yeah, like I, I, that's what I mean when I say like the pieces are there. I just don't see them like marrying super well together is because I don't think that they were like that those considerations for the writing were as strong in the script as they were on the screen or excuse me, as, as strong in this for the screen as they were maybe in the script. Um, it could have been, could have gone either way, but uh, in this case, I, I don't think it landed as strongly as it could have for me. Well, to to kind of put this in like the the dumbest like quantifiable terms possible, like the, just to talk about like how kind of weird this third act is and how rushed it is. The Wikipedia summary for this is like one, two, it's like five paragraphs, uh, and the first two paragraphs are the first two acts of this film, and the final act of this movie is more than half of the summary oh, and it's like 20 minutes of the film <laughs> it's like 20 minutes of the fuck because most of this film is like they're on a bus they're singing songs yeah, about vignettes. the trapeze man you know uh cucking <laughs> some guy's wife uh you know or cucking some wait cucking some guy cucking the husband of some guys yeah some guy, the yes. husband of some um, guy's wife <laughs> the husband it, <laughs> hmm <laughs> I, we've also had we've made uh, we've had this discussion on we, this we really have several <laughs> times with other films um but yes it's like there there are sections of this film uh kind of at the first two acts that are kind of quite slow and quite like i don't know like it's it's not like you know uh, a tar film or and it's not damnation right. right it's not tarkovsky but it, it is kind of like more comfortable being like kind of slow and mm. kind of still humorous, but in kind of this, this much more slow manner where the, the last act of this is just like stuff happening just over right, and over right. and stuff happening through dialogue. Mostly like there, there is a scene where, um, you know, the, the newspaper editor that, uh, Warren is like trying to convince to, to kind of run the story and to pay him all this money is just like saying what's happening into different phones, like one after the other. Um, <laughs> I guess it shouldn't work. I, it still worked on me, but like it is, it does kind of accelerate in this, this very uneven, right? Manner, I guess I'll say because it does, like you see it echoed, like Seth was saying about Aladdin, or we've already brought up about, you know, a bunch of other movies. It does, you, you see those things echoed in movies released today and when we were kids and stuff yes. like it's not it doesn't feel like an old movie in that respect in that like the writing is snappy the you know characters are clear and stuff it fe felt more like uh like they have multiple like they have lego blocks and mega blocks and they're trying to make them work and it's like oh you can if you try hard enough but there's still not one like you can't make a house that looks normal out of it um that's the kind of shit that i say when harry and cody aren't here because i know that i get a lot of red flags on those plays um, but, uh, Seth, any, I mean, we're all thinking <laughs> we are, you... everybody was thinking about mega blocks and Lego. <laughs> no one's giving you moment. a pass. We're just not, we're just not stopping. <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, then you should probably stop me. I want to pass the mic to Seth and see if there is, is any of this ringing for you or is the, the, the sort of like path that it charted through the first two acts and then the, how it hits the fucking gas in act three. Oh, I, without a doubt. I mean, it is kind of exactly what Aaron talked about where like, you you can summarize the first two thirds of this movie, yeah, in two sentences. You know, like they run into each other, they're traveling by bus, mishaps occur, and then like with the last twenty minutes, it just foot on the pedal. You know, here's where all the drama happens. Here's mm -hmm. where all the misunderstandings happen. Here's where like the archetypes that become 
the like, oh, here is the core misunderstanding between the the two leads that drives something between their relationship that they later resolve at the climax. Like all of that gets really sort of truncated right in the middle. Um, and so like, again, that is one of those things where I look at it like, oh, well, this is this is the prototype. They have not mastered the the timing and the sort the rhythm of that in romantic comedies, but they're introducing the concept for the first time. Um, the one thing that did sort of stick out to me that like I've noticed a lot in these, uh, I don't want to say older like all of them because I'm generalizing a period of films mm-hmm. from like the 30s to the 50s, uh, but like the idea of the male protagonist if we're being you know heteronormative in most of these cases always being a journalist Mm -hmm. and that is always the pretext for their duplicity uh that was something that always stood out to me and it stood out to me in this film as well uh with peter they're they're emblematic of the the working it's like he's a he's a working man and he has a reason to be opposed to, you know, th- this kind of upper class snooty woman right about who he meets that. on the road. And yeah, he's he's a he's a it's it's like that in like private investigators. We're like those are the two like and like salespeople. Right. Those are the two or three like hardworking, hitting the pavement. Exactly. That's the sound it's, of hitting the pavement. It's, Not it's very else. much man of the people. Yeah, Ugh. are you talking about yes. fucking on my podcast, Aaron? Right. I don't know what you're talking. Um, you, I believe you're referring to bringing uh, down the the walls, smashing. Yeah, oh, gross! Uh, yes. that, that, again, we keep skirting around the Hayes Code stuff, but it's going to be so much fun to talk about. Um, the I, I was thinking of that too during this movie, Seth, because specifically, again, the Philadelphia story being a recent one. Uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character is a reporter with uh, with a local paper, and um, I forget her name, but uh, Ms. And Endridge, uh, basically Jimmy Stewart's actual love interest in that movie, um, is the photographer. And they are both like very much as Aaron says, people of the people, they like are out of their element, fish out of water type in this very ostentatious, uh, you know, old money type setting, which is a great contrast and a great way to define the characters. For me, it comes down to like the tropes of what they, what they do, who they are. Like there's the journalist basically. Uh, he's a big mouth. He's world. He's uh, worldwise. He has all sorts of like colloquial knowledge. He knows uh, how men take their clothes off before bed. Um, he knows the best way to hitchhike. All this kind of stuff. He's a very worldly guy. Uh, but he's like got a big mouth, and he loves you know having attention on him. And she, classically, again, we're setting this the like uh, prototypes and, and tropes for the rom com. She is a, like a sort of for lack of a better term, wayfish character with a secret to keep, you know, like she doesn't want this getting out. And unfortunately, who's she paired up with? But the one person who has like the ears of the entire Eastern seaboard, uh-huh. you know, and I, like it works very, very well. I, I think it's just because of the contrast, because of like the complete total dramatic irony, especially once they know who the others are. I mean, I'm just describing rom-coms at this point, but that's why I, I enjoyed it so much in this movie was because it felt much more immediate like they're on the road um as opposed to the philadelphia story where they're like embedded journalists and they're at tracy lord's uh you know huge mansion and they're sort of like in this controlled environment it felt more like oh yeah at any point the twist that we know that's going to happen which is him sort of like getting her story out there and you know in one way betraying her intentionally or unintentionally we know that's going to happen it's just at what point along this road trip that they're on um i i don't know that's just the thoughts that it sparked in me like the concept of journalists and you know, PIs and salespeople in these roles is like, they are people who are known for being known. And the person that they're paired with, uh, unfortunately is the only person who doesn't want to be known or does, has some secret to keep. I just really like that trope. I'm glad it 
I'm yeah. glad it was used so like effectively here. Well, it also is just like kind of more. It's more fun to follow like Clark Gable being kind of like a roguish asshole than it is to follow like rich characters, right? Oh, yeah. Which is another problem with Philadelphia story, where it's like the scenes with Jimmy Stewart are like the best, you know, partially it's Jimmy Stewart. We all right. love Jimmy Stewart, partially because, you know, 90% of the characters in that film are, you know, upper class kind of shitheads who can be entertaining in their own way. But like a film full of upper class shitheads, unless it's some sort of like, you know, deep satire about that kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. and, and, and that way of, uh, you know, that class, um, I think can come off kind of uh, a one note, right? Which is which is why I think this works. I don't just mean to compare these two films constantly, but th- this film feels to me a lot more even because it is feels like 50% Gable and 50% Colbert. Um, and I think that they, uh, and maybe another problem with the third act, is that they work really, really well together. They are, I think, genuinely kind of enchanting uh, in scenes together. Um, they are both very, very funny uh, in this. Um they are both charismatic. They are they are both whatever words you want to use, right? And I so I think the the first two acts of this film where they they spend a little bit of time apart before they meet each other, uh, but then they meet. There's kind of the main uh, uh, bit of this film where they're on this bus. They're kind of traveling around. They're hitchhiking, um, and those are like you know the best scenes in the film to mm-hmm. me. I mean, that is like the the core of this film is these two just kind of interacting with each other, um, and it works really well because they're you know, very charming. Right. People. Right. I never noticed um, before this movie how, and I've seen a couple of Clark Gable movies, never really noticed how just like pudgy and baby face he is for like as sunken as his eyes are as like creepy as his mustache is. He just has like baby face. I would call him baby face. He's got like, I was going to say he's, he's kind of got like a raccoon or like a, like some sort of kind well, of, rodent-y I think that's, I think of. that's the eyes. Like if you look at his eyes, they're kind of set back butthole eyes, but like he's got, he's got a George Clooney. He's like a slightly, He's like a slightly more roguish kind of George. Yeah, Clooney, yeah. If you know, George slightly Clooney less had, rounded. If George Clooney just put like straight crude oil in his hair every morning. That's what that's what sure. George Clooney would look like. Um, sure, it works sure. because of those, you know. And it's you know we're we're collapsing in on ourselves talking about like what came first, the characters or the actors who play the characters, kind of thing. Like, yeah, he is indeed, as Seth is saying in the chat, a dapper Dan man. You just a little dabble, do you? Uh, no, that was Burrow Cream. My apologies um, to all of the 1940s <laughs> and 50s consumer uh, product fans out there. Uh, the wiki is going to be screaming at us. Um, but those those trope characters work so well, uh, despite, uh, excuse me, just because of like the people that they've gotten to, to portray them, like perfect actors for their time, perfect actors for the beginning of the, I mean, it's all part of this stew that you can look back and say all these pieces were in it and that's why it tasted so good and that's why it's lasted so long. Um, but one of the things that I do want to get to before we run up against time is all of the characters that I don't know if they fit necessarily, at least not in the way that they're used, into clean tropes. I'm thinking like, shapely and thinking the thief uh that steals their car rather his, steals their shit in his car um i'm thinking of all like the uh, navy guys on the bus who just start breaking into song uh, i'm thinking of like this random italian that keeps popping up like the characters just the guys i guess what i mean to say is that this movie is full of of guys um you talked about little freak shapely aaron uh and i just want to get your read on just the broad swath of characters Let's that aren't like essential to the plot but who still do like make an impression while they're there oh not specifically shapely i mean shapely generally yeah. he, I mean, he is the he is the most he's the standout i guess this is all proxy for like let's talk about tease me by by, by bringing up shapely and then ask me to yeah, make no, some I'm sort not of do more let's, generalized let's, let's statement let's about non-shapely that was, that was characters Jason, the podcaster brain just talking hey, good try idea, bud yeah. 
get that. Okay, no. Here's what I'll say before we, before we, who is, oh my God, I'm going to forget it. Uh, the guy who speaks in a really weird voice when he's announcing, oh my God, what is it? I had a point I wanted to bring up about this, and now it's is it is it the, the train conductor guy Howard Cassell, like the ladies and gentlemen, like the start your engines guy? I might have to fucking kick you mean up in the real movie life while we're or no 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 during the film. There's a guy oh. who's um just he's speaking like the most character like a uh, destination okay, names for along the bus route. He's like Jacksonville, New York. He does this like very monotone, weird thing. Is that what you're talking about? Is that what I'm talking? I don't I'm, know. I'm loading up the there film in my browser oh, right now. God. I'm going to fucking right. uh, <laughs> Seth. You watched this movie in real time with me. We had we had we yeah, cut crazy. a few stitches uh, watching Shapely. Yeah. Um, no, it it was definitely filled with a lot of characters. I considered talking uh, using the thief about uh, young people in love are never hungry uh, <laughs> as as my quote. Uh, it felt like. Uh, I'm kind of going to kind of take this a different direction, but like it felt like throughout the film when you were seeing Ellie and Peter interact um, and they have this repartee back and forth of like first, it, you know, it, it, Sundere totally like, oh, right, they're of so different here, worlds. Here, here he lives among us. So. Yeah, there, there's my, there's my, I'm bringing him in. <laughs> that's you're, the, you're that's part how of you're going to describe that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> they, they have this, you know, like, oh, we're of different worlds and different minds. And so we'll start very cold. And then like, it felt a little, I do remember thinking, is the fact that these guys, n- these Navy guys on a bus are singing about a cucking trapeze artist is that bringing them closer together like is that yeah. the thing that like plants the seeds of intimacy because i because i do remember thinking like when he is you know quote unquote tucking her in in the hay bed there's like that very tense moment of like eye contact mm-hmm. and like Closeness. are they going yeah. to kiss kind of thing and in the moment i bought it Cause I was just like, oh yeah, these are two very charming actors who have been sort of, uh, sparring with each other, uh, in a very impressive way throughout the movie. But then when I was like thinking about it, I was like, nothing about their experiences were like, I guess when I think of rom-coms, it's like the, the leads being repeatedly put in situations where they are forced to be like intimate or like a relationship yeah. proxy someone falls on top of the other mm-hmm. exactly stuff like <laughs> stuff like that. some of it is very ham-fisted like that uh yes. i guess i guess they did have to like rent a few cabins as like a pretend sure. husband and wife that was the most intensely sexual thing you could do oh, back yeah, in 1934 yeah. uh, we'll, was sleep that would in a be, separate uh, bed with a rope thing just in a rope not even a wall uh yeah. but i remember thinking i was like how did these guys fall in love with each other like is that that's, isn't uh, that the magic of the genre you d- you didn't see it you didn't see it happen i mean it's the i i, I need to i so one the 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 trapeze song is like absolutely like metaphorical for like the plot of the film right like oh here's this this boring kind of shitty guy who's who's you know with this woman and then this cool roguish like charismatic you know, more interesting character comes and sweeps her off her feet, right? I guess it's told from the perspective of the the King character, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whose name I'm now forgetting, King Wesley, right? 
Um, but I, I think that's like definitely intended, like where that song is in the film and like what the point of that is. Um, I will say that I, I think that like it is certainly less telegraphed than uh, romantic comedy is today. But mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, I think that the the way in which uh, Peter Warren kind of uh, complements uh, as an opposite um, Andrews um, is like, I think the thing that kind of like indicates that that is what is going on, right? Like he shows her this life that is kind of unpleasant in a lot of respects, but is also more kind of dangerous and uh, 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 kind of risky uh, and, and, and more exciting in this manner, right? Like she is somebody who, you know, a lot of this is delivered through dialogue, but is very clearly like kept, you know, um, very close to her father's chest in a lot of ways. Um, And he is like, certainly overprotective there's the story about her kind of sneaking out and in in order to go uh what go like shopping Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and without a bodyguard at a department store at a department store um and so like i think we're supposed to like gather that like you know peter warren kind of represents this lifestyle Mm -hmm. that she uh didn't know that she wants to live but like once it's introduced to her uh she like can't live without it right um and that doesn't necessarily maybe work 100% of the way from like a character standpoint, but through the magic of film, uh, we can take such shortcuts uh, in order to, to accept two characters falling in love over the course of like 16 hours. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. In another movie, we probably would have gotten a lot more backstory about uh, Whiteley, Wesley, uh, Wesley, um, and about, Wesley. and about like his, King his various, like, you know, uh, ne'er do wellings and like how many women he's charmed and stuff. But it is very confident to take the shortcut and say like, He's there to get a payout. Um, and he sucks. He, his name's King. He's, his, name his nickname King is King. West. It's not even his actual is it, name. Is I don't it really? think it's a nickname. Uh, and on Wikipedia, it has a little scare quote. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a nickname. Oh, but it doesn't offer an actual first name for him. Uh, I guess let me scroll up. No, I mean it would say that editorialized. It would say that's that, editor. That sounds like Wikipedia editorializing, where they're like, I don't believe this be. is his first name. I'm gonna put quotation marks around it. I say this is yeah, just created like a number a of Wikipedia. Articles. Four thousand post argument over whether to remove <laughs> starting with Nintendo Fist on, <laughs> on December eleventh at two fifty one. Listen up, <laughs> shithead. <laughs> Uh, there's no proof um the one of the things that we've again skirted for a little while uh and i think underpins a whole lot of the charm of this movie and some of the like even some of the plot elements that that come and go is the Hayes code the fact that this movie like aaron said just months after the Hayes code was really starting to be enforced i guess it started in 30 uh really got to be enforced in 34 i'm not sure how much of this production was actually impacted by it but definitely reads that way in a certain uh you know at a certain point I don't think at all. I think it. I think it like is notable for being like one of the films before the Hayes Code like okay. started fucking. But shit then, up. then it feels so like. May, but maybe it was like there was a specter of that. You yeah. Know, like, and yeah. you know, it's like it's um, like that one um fucking. Will, it's, a horny it's, film. it's like that one Wilco album, uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, that everybody's like, oh, it's about nine eleven, and there's a lot of stuff about buildings falling and people screaming, and it's like, well, I mean, maybe in retrospect it is, but it actually came out. It was made way before nine eleven. Unless Wilco did sure. Jeff Tweedy do nine eleven. I'm just asking questions, though. I'm it's, not... A lot of people say the thing, same thing about Jay-Z. Uh, did something, uh, did he do something? came out on 9-11. Oh, Jesus. Think about it. But, but, no, Think but nobody about talks it. about the, that, a lot of the, connections the, coup, the Illuminati. The coup album art, where somebody's literally like using a detonator device to explode the Twin Towers, and it was supposed to come out oh, on 9-11. Do you remember so that? Mu- I mean, look, if you wanted to portray yourself as some kind of terrorist before terrorism uh, became you know all, all cool and popular in the early 2000s, I mean, blowing up buildings. I mean, what were you going to pick? Yeah, it's like, yeah, 
you know, I was playing that Yankee Stadium. This is totally, uh, this is totally the White House. Uh, non sequitur, but I was thinking, I was at uh, Can Can Wonderland, uh, Minneapolis Institution, Can Can Wonderland ah, last night. Oh, a wonderful yes. place. Um, a lot of fun. Very expensive, but a lot of fun. And they have free arcade games there. We played Rampage. We played three player Rampage. Haven't played that game for 10 years. You could not years. make Rampage today. And, and, I, and I literally thought, like, why, <laughs> why haven't they made more of these games? Like, the last one they made was a GameCube game, I think. Uh, Ultimate Destruction. Loved that game. They made a movie, though. They, they did. Um, but I mean, I don't know how much yeah, buildings uh, are being punched in the right, film. Right, right. But, you know but what that's I mean? what I mean. Like, such, like, there are cityscapes in the background. There's armed forces yeah. coming in to get you. And it's like, oh, this is, like, humans jumping out of One million nine eleven. Little pixel You humans. are... Yes. You're doing 9-11 again and again in Philadelphia and in Montauk and in Chicago. Yeah, you, the first city you're destroying that game, Chicago. I'm sorry, Aaron. You destroy the, the L and everything. Um, well, no, you don't. Not me. I, I put oh. my quarters in the game machine and I just stand there not moving. <laughs> and I wait until the time's up. And then I say, that's right. <laughs> Save the fucking day. And then I rip the cord out of the machine and I start smashing through the glass and then I look the owner of the arcade in the eye and I say, you don't you fucking wipe the blood on your again. face and scream. Not <laughs> I don't want, city. I don't want you in this machine in my city ever again. And then I kick him out into the street. Uh, no, guess what? You became the rampage. <gasps> I did. Jack Johnson did. was right. I did. Uh, is that, no, Jack Thompson. Covering Uwe Boll's Rampage films yeah. <laughs> uh, on uh, Trial a, a very Soon. little on table podcast. Uh, that's, that's the end of my 9-11 screed. But um, the Hayes Code, uh, <laughs> there will be more. That's, that's the one for today. Anyway, back to things back more to impactful Hayes code, than 9-11. Yeah. The Hayes Code. The things that we didn't deserve. Um, the Hayes Code was... Back to, back to large pieces of legislation <laughs> uh, changing the the landscape for American uh, entertainment yeah, yeah. and cinema. Yes. Um, yeah. So this, Patriot this movie, most famously, obviously, or rather, uh, uh, I guess the most famous example of some of its more salacious content, like explicitly salaciously, like, oh, titillating content. Um, even though it's played out for comedy, is that trope of uh, Clark Peter cannot get um, you know, a car with his various high striking techniques. So then Ellen gets up and shows a little bit of leg and stops a car immediately. Uh, being like, I I have to assume this was maybe the first instance of that in a movie. It was the, like I feel like I've always thought of this as the movie that started that. But just as an example, it's the movie that like where that was very uh touchy to do something like that in a movie. Um, th- that was sort of the time. Uh, Colbert did not like doing that scene. Oh no, I can't imagine why. <laughs> well, she thought it was like unladylike. Yeah, that's that's what do. I mean. Like in 1934, yeah. to be like showing anything above like the mid of your calf in public, that was a people lot. People would faint in the theater seeing this. Well, it was like, like train. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. You know that's what, what I mean? was remarking while we're watching the movie. Was like this feels almost like, and I'm trying to put myself in 1934 America, you know, in my late twenties, mid thirties, you know, whatever the ideal audience is for this movie, trying to put myself in that mindset. And I think I'm like scandalized, but loving it through the entire movie. If I'm in that mindset, like, because they, they play oh, this. It. That was the funniest thing that had ever been put in a film that, at that point. And, and that was like the most, that was like the Borat scene where they're both nude running through the hotel. That was the the equivalent for 1934. <laughs> I, I got to see Borat someday. Um, oh my god! Yeah, I know. Seth, Seth, Seth's laughing. He knows I, what I'm talking yeah, about. You know, yes, you know. Um, what are you doing, man, Jason? What? Are you what? Doing? Not watching Borat. See Borat, dude. It's These are iconic moments of film. Yeah, history. how do you not know? I can't. I can't reference the biggest scene from Borat anymore. <laughs> that was the biggest scene. I thought my wife was the biggest the, scene. The woke. No, that's like a meme, dude. I'm talking about. Look, the ones they, who know. There was not, There was literally nothing funnier in my entire life than seeing that scene Borat in the theater. That was the funniest thing I had ever seen at that point in my entire life. There was no competitors. Still to this number day. one. Goddamn. 
Yeah. Uh, never been anything funnier than that scene, but this one was pretty good. Um, and I just like in watching it, it felt almost, even if it wasn't directly impacted by the Hayes code, even if it was well into production before anybody told them like, you can't, you can't do this kind of thing. It feels almost directly combative with the audience to say like, we're going to set up the pieces of the scene where they're undressing and we're going to make sure that you like, don't miss anything that like what you miss is intentionally. We're going to hide from you through like creative lighting or shading or, you know, not having the, 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 I guess the walls of Jericho thing where they put up a blanket between their two beds and, um, and they talk about, you know, that there's, that he doesn't have a trumpet today to take down those walls, like respecting boundaries and like, uh, the taboos that are in play. And then of course, over the course of the movie referenced several times, they stay in the same room a few times and at the end, uh, just classically, it falls. Um, but it's those moments of like, it, it uses humor to get there. But then a moment of sincerity, like sincerely pretty, like even today watching, it's pretty like tensely sensual, even if it's not like ex, ex, uh, explicit or like super sexual. Like the first time that they do go to bed in the same room, she undresses behind the thing. You don't really see it. It's backlit kind of thing. Um, but it's just him like silently sort of like paying attention like not able to see anything, just a dark room. He's laying in his bed. She's like getting undressed and getting into hers. And it's just completely silent. No, like, uh, you know, violins, no, like the beauty of a uh, woman in the moonlight type moment. It's just fucking silence. Just like, Hey, live with the discomfort and sensuality yeah. of this moment in 1934. And I also didn't think they would comment on it. That right. Yeah. Especially for, especially for, for Andrews who like that. I, would be quite a frightening thing to yeah. do, right? Um, like I think they generally kind of trust each other at that moment, right? But like they're getting there. Yeah, that that's it does make you think like, oh yeah, that that would be a scary thing, you know, as a kind of a, a rich child, uh, you know, in this rich right. family well, and uh yeah. now just hoofing it, you know, across the United States, like also kind of frightening, I yeah. think, you know? And um, that's that's what I mean. It's not playing it explicitly or exclusively for titillation, yeah. you know, or for humor. It's like, there are a lot of elements to this plan, which we've distilled previously into like his whole bit about when men take off their clothes. And like, we see just, it cuts just before he's taking his pants off kind of thing. It's, it's played for humor up to that point. And then it's like, oh yeah, consider every implication of what's actually going on here. Like two people unrelated, unmarried in a room, undressing, consider like, don't just Throw it under the rug yeah. as a funny moment. This is a really strange situation. If they found out they weren't married, they would be executed. Yes. They would have been shot they would be dead like pigs On in live the TV, they would be brought out into the street. They would be stripped, flogged, hunger games. Uh, cat of nine yeah. tails, uh, and shat on. Um, yeah. That's 1934 America for you. That's Jacksonville that's, in 1934. Right. Uh, and I don't know if that, like, it was just, I guess, not scary or anything, but just startling how self aware it seemed about the sort of rules it was breaking, the taboos it was pushing. Um, at the time when it wasn't even like yet quite mandated that those were taboos, that those were like moral codes imposed on the filmmaking industry. Did that, does that vibe did that soak in for anybody else while you were watching the movie or was it just like, yeah, of course they're going to do that. Well, this, this is also a film that's like pretty, I mean, I've mentioned it before, but it's like, it's pretty horny film. Uh, this, this, this is the film, a long line of, uh, films like this where the final moments of the film are two people finally fucking. Oh yeah. Oh, After yeah, a film of not having sex. Uncut gems. I mean, it's like obviously generally implied here, right? But like Rush hour. also like I just very just straight up just like, oh, this is absolutely what's happening. Yeah. You know, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and also done in a still very funny, playful. I think the idea of asking just kind of this 
this old couple, you know, <laughs> running this hotel to get you a, a, a trumpet, you know, uh, pretty good, pretty good. Set it up over the course of the film. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it felt, uh, it felt more, I guess, explicit than I was expecting yeah. in that manner. Um, that definitely felt like pre-code. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah, I do think there probably was a good bit of, I guess, like, you know, I have to imagine Frank Capra had some self-awareness about, like, how relationships and on-screen romance were sort of depicted and how you can, I don't want to, I don't want to say at any point it was um, sort of subverting those things. I don't know if it was ever that, you know, self-aware, mm-hmm. but just... It was just aware that like, oh, we're going to show something that, you know, like that moment that people do know about, about like the the awkward points of a relationship. And suddenly there's like intimacy building, but there's like these these heavy pregnant moments of 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 thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, like you're thinking what Clark Gable's thinking. We're all in there like, oh, like there's there's this beautiful woman on the other side of this, this uh, blanket, just disrobing, right. like, what do we do with that kind of thing? Um, and they don't answer it. They just let it hang. There. That's what like, I mean. Yeah. You, you, yeah, exactly. And it, uh, it works. Yeah, no, it, it adds a lot to the moment. Like it made me think like I, I expected it to be again, music cue cut next morning kind of thing, but it takes its time with those. And it felt, interesting is like this is where we're leaning i guess maybe this is going back to my point about the sort of rom and com of this like that's the rom part right like there's nothing particularly it is kind of like a coincidental excuse me coincidental situation i need to get better at podcasting um that follows a moment of levity and humor and like the whole concept of separating the room and calling it the walls of jericho and stuff is like ahaha we're making fun of this and then it's like oh well we're actually reflecting for a moment on how actually like serious this is sort of the we're not implying anything that we are reasonably certain at this point in the movie. They're not actually going to act on it. We've sort of established their tropes and we know that those people wouldn't act in that way as to like cross the line and break down the walls of Jericho yet. But there it is. And like Seth's saying, what do we do with that? If we're not going to act on it, what do we do with it? And it's like for a few seconds, maybe for 15 seconds, we're just going to have it there. Um, and that happens a couple of times. It happens in that scene. It happens at the uh, hay, uh, bed scene in the, in the field, like uh, Seth was bringing up before. Um, it's just, I don't know. It felt maybe not meaningful, but definitely something for that. I, that like affected my viewing uh, experience was like, because I was expecting the tenor of this moment to go from funny to like lighthearted to mildly romantic and suggestive back to funny and out of it. It just sort of like kept at that weird tension throughout the entire scene. It felt I, like, I wouldn't see that in a movie today if I was going to see a rom-com um, as part of like, if we're talking about the origins of the thing, didn't feel like one of the origins of the thing felt like something that it was doing for its time. And that's why maybe that reads as subversion to me. I don't know. Um, but it like that adds up to, I guess my whole point was it feels almost directly confrontational and spiteful of Hayes code era, like moralizing, even if it wasn't itself directly subject to it, maybe it was like precursor to it. Maybe it was like commentary on the incoming impending implications of Hayes code regulations. I'm, I'm not sure. And did you do any poking around for that? Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, uh, just extremely sexual and inappropriate content. I mean, we should talk about Shapely at this point. I mean, we, we've been we've been dancing around really the Shapester, really but we I mean, we haven't really dug into. Okay, here's a few things. So obviously, Shapely. I mean, 
the greatest character in the film. I mean, we like banger after banger. I mean, that little tirade he goes on in the bus. I mean, come on, yeah. what's better than that, right? We, I mean, the the you love to hate him, he, right? He has so uh, many lines before she ever speaks, and then just keeps speaking like a one like as a monologue. Yeah. It's actually really incredible. It's the terrible list of the original creepy. creepy guy you meet at a party. Yeah. Like he was, he was the archetype. When you know a cold I mean? mama gets hot, boy, how she sizzles. He says, <laughs> "Fun yeah, on the side, also... cheaply." They call me with an accent on the fun. Believe you me, just complete total <laughs> creeper shit. Legitimately, uh, pre Hays Code stuff. It is then later mentioned by him that he is married and has kids. <laughs> like he's just he's the biggest scumbag. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah, he's he, he but sucks. but he has he has just such unrelenting. Like the kids call it Riz today. He doesn't have Riz because like he's he's oh, he's, on, he's, paint, he's painted in the opposite direction. As like this guy is Not just young enough skeezy, for this. you know. But like he, he he's got skis. I was about to say like he has charisma. Like he can keep talking and make it sound like he knows where he's going with it and just keep talking. That's what I would define yeah. as like his form. He's of charisma. the creepiest kind of like fast talking guy that talks fast and then when is told to shut up, that just turns him on in a creepy manner even more right, right. you know well, I mean? he does that to her like twice you tell him shut up and he's like ah yeah i actually am into that actually exactly. it's like well you just you played right into my trap you know? i i'm hornier yes. now than i was <laughs> yes i i am i was over the moon about that character even though i'm like you're, you're just troubled by the fact I mean, he's got to be nominated like we got to nominate him oh, for, for little for, freak oh for, for certain for certain for little freak i mean we got to bump off some sort of goo monster from mad god you know what i mean one of the lesser goo monsters yeah. i don't think he's gonna win it but this is true to the I, spirit of the freak i think i need to put down a note yeah do we have like a doc we have on this in the that trial I can... of calendar spreadsheet we have we are tracking <laughs> okay. some freaks but we kind of really got off track this year uh, when we had, I mean, I think we we did Mad God, and we're like, well, what's the fucking point yeah. of this? I mean, what's everybody's the, a freak? What are we gonna? Everybody's a fucking freak. Yeah, um, of course. Well, with that uh, benediction to the freaks, I'll. We have limited ways to off ramp this whole conversation. We do not have an edition of Cody's Notes for this episode. Um, we don't have, uh, you know, the final closing theme. I would like to open up the floor. I usually call it the junk drawer, but I'll just allow folks to pop off with any th- remaining thoughts that they had if it's a big one if it's a little one um starting with seth seth what's racking around in there thanks uh i would like to uh give this is like an honorary doctorate it's a one-off thing um it probably won't ever make it uh to your guys's end of year awards but the spirit of J. Jonah Jameson uh scripting with the newspaper editor where he shouts agnes she says, what is it, chief? And he says, get me a doctor. I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I loved that interaction. And it just gave me like such, such joy yeah. to see this sort of manic uh, newspaper editor on the phone. Like it was complete. This might have created the stereotype that later, you know, was fulfilled so many times. After. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, shout out Jonah. to the editor. For sure. Um that is always a fun character because he's he's the boss, but he's like, hey, everybody's working toward the same goal, trying to get a paper out and get the news delivered kind of thing. So it's a fun character to throw in there as like, like you can be adversarial. He keeps sending him like these weird Zodiac type, like I've got a good story and I hope you're fucking really hot for it because I am. Uh, fuck you also, boss. Like you, you're not getting it. I'm fired. I know I don't work for you, but <laughs> fuck you. I've got the best story you've ever got. I love that that like chiding that Peter keeps giving him throughout the movie by telegram too. It's, it's a really good character and a really good part. Um, Aaron, any uh, shout outs before we uh, exunt? 
Yeah, here, here's a here's a fun little thing we can do here. Obviously, I'm not. Uh, oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm not Cody. <gasps> I'm not taking over the Cody's. No, 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 like blaring. You're blaring uh, ideas no. and thoughts. Stop. Okay, so words that rhyme with Aaron. All right. Uh, here, here's the thing. Uh, saw You're a link, scaring Aaron. <gasps> link from a um, a Wikipedia article for the film. Link to the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Stars uh, list that listed the 50 greatest screen legends, top 25 female and top 25 male stars mm-hmm. uh, as part of it. Um, this list is from where did this? I think 1999. Oh, gee. Um, I would I would like to do so in the last last few uh, uh, episodes. We've of course seen. We've seen Cary Grant. We've seen good old Jimmy Stewart. We've seen Clark Gable. Uh, out of the, the one to 25, where do we think those three ended up? Clark Gable, Cary list? Grant, and Jimmy Stewart? Yeah, just just throw out some numbers. Where do you think? Okay, so I'll say that they were all top 10. Whoa, that li- slims it down significantly. Okay, uh, I'm going to say Clark yeah. Gable was uh, number four. Jimmy Stewart was number three. Cary Grant was number seven. I'm going to guess out of the three, Jimmy Stewart is the highest. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll say he's, I'll say he's two. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I will say Cary Grant is four. Clark Gable is five. Okay. Um, so in reality, Cary Grant is two. Ooh. Jimmy Stewart is three. I got that right. And then Clark Gable is seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll say for the male stars, um, Humphrey Bogart is one. Yeah, I knew Bogey. I had knew to be it was there. Humphrey. Yeah, had to be. Uh, and then we got just yeah, Fred Astaire is on the list. Henry Fonda, James Cagney. Um, the as far as the women go, Catherine Hepburn number one. Mm-hmm. Um, who else from movies we've seen? Hey, here's a here's a question. Look, looked through this. Want to take a guess how many? Non-white. <laughs> no, I do not. Aaron, I do not want to take is, a guess. Uh, okay, well, here we go. Is Rita Hayworth in the top 10? Because she me. is she is Hispanic. Hmm. Rita Hayworth is number 19 on the women's oh, list. No, okay. Number 19. Bummer. I mean, look, respect to some of these other people. Were you going to say Mae West or well, Vivian Leigh? Yeah, but Mae West, Lillian mm-hmm. Gish, we're going to say is above Rita Hayworth? I don't think so. Um, uh, there is one. Uh, two, then. There's... As far as I can tell, just from looking at this list, counting Italians as white people, <laughs> there are, I think, two uh, two people of color, color, Rita Hayworth and Sidney Poitier. On, Those oh, were on the, the two. combined gender list? I thought you were saying on in, the combined the gender I was like, oh, wow. Sydney took it as 22 uh, on the men's list. Sydney, Sydney dessert. I, I, know, I know Bogey's great. I know Cagney's great. But Sydney's Poitier, he's top 10. Sydney's got a lot of great stuff. Sure, Shit. Borgie and Bess. I mean, guess who's coming? To yeah, in the heat of the night. In the heat, I'm just reading off the stuff. You really are just in reading his Wikipedia who, page. Now. Who would forget to sir with love? The I would never forget film. to sir with love. That's a really good movie. Or Lilies of the Field, 19. I would forget that one. I've never seen that. Or a patch of blue. Patch of blue. Also, I don't think that exists. I think you're making up news. No way out. Nineteen. I'm just reading. Yeah, this is just Wikipedia. We're one and a half minutes away from the good old hour here's, mark. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I'll, here's the thing that I'll do. We're burning the midnight oil on uh, on a Sunday yep. afternoon. 
Does anybody want to guess what Cody would have used as his out quote for this movie? Um, isn't there a radio broadcast about love? Or there was one that I was listening to as I was uh, as I was watching the film. Where I was like, "This would be Cody's." In fact, I I, I had forgotten that Cody was not going to be on the app, and I was like, "Oh, Cody's definitely going to do this. Don't use this for your quote." Uh, but I can't remember what it is now. Um, so give me credit for this, I would, even though I, I don't have an answer. I, I feel like he would have used, uh, it's maybe like near the end of the first act when they're actually getting on the bus to head on their trip. This is the one that I said, like, he'd probably use this because it's it can be drawn out. You can repeat it. You can fade it out. Like, he likes ones that either are very, very succinct and very fun or ones that can be blown out into something else. Not to make Cody's final quote a, uh, uh, you know, to formalize it, but like, I've noticed trends. There's this one part I was referencing it earlier where there's a guy, one of the conductors, train conductors slash staff, who just starts like listing off the various destinations of the bus from where it is now. And he gets like five seconds of screen time and then he just keeps repeating it in the background. Uh, He says bus leaving for Savannah, Charleston, Columbia, Greensboro, Richmond, Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York. Bus leaving for Savannah, Charleston, Columbia, Greensboro, and he just he does it again. <laughs> and and we again. just slowly fade and out. I Cody. Knew, that's even what I said in the moment. I was like, "This one would be great because I can just fade him out. Yeah. It'd be very funny." And then I, I think that is the person who was talking weirdly that I referenced. Maybe because he does have kind of like a very monotone squinworn type thing. It it was cracking me up. It was I don't know why it was so funny. Just the way he was saying it was like yes, a very squidward yeah. back of back of the throat you yeah, know, yeah. kind of a thing. <laughs> and I was like, what the. F- fuck is this uh, but like do they do they purposefully talk like that is that part of the thing i, I mean this guy just you, a big old you nerd think that you'd want to be emphatic and clear if you're telling people where they're going maybe and when but uh the only other one was like any of shapely's thing any of shapely's monologue i feel like if cody could have stomached how weird and misogynist it is he probably <laughs> he probably would have pulled that could have made it all the way like through a good two i think he would have known that one of us was going to use it for the intro. oh yeah like yeah yeah like I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not Cody. Uh, we can, all of us can only aspire. Yeah. To be well, Cody. I don't want him to you comment know, on all... this. I don't want him to put his fingers on the scale or anything, but, uh, yeah. I just feel like he always thinks like, I need a quote that is not going to be one of the intro quotes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like he's got in yeah. backups. One of these, which is why they're either slightly longer or super short. Right. When we end this podcast, you know what I mean? and that's a, when we'll have to go back through his notice, yeah. his digital notice and see what he was writing down. See all the, infinite other possibilities the the trial of yeah. multiverse of ending quotes and cody's noties editions um but yeah i never know how to end these uh, Cody here tw- 20 24 on the list for the men edward g robinson that's right hell yeah he made 25 right. should have been about uh 23 spots higher but <laughs> my my man could we'll have take taken it. it he could have taken it we'll take if it. he got a leading man role in almost anything he could have taken it he could have taken it uh unfortunately he yeah. was always the squat toady um private investigator or detective man do you remember how good he was in double indemnity what a fucking good fucking he's great key largo key largo he's he's good he's much more intimidating but he's also really good yeah wow he's he's great well wow uh i don't usually say thank you for listening as our end quote but uh thank you seth for joining for another episode of try love where should people find you i know they're on twitter and letterbox and stuff where where do you want people to find you Ooh, yeah. uh, find me on <laughs> letter. No, no, find me on, <laughs> find me outside. Uh, find me on letterbox and, uh, just, just pump up my review like numbers, please. Uh, 
at SNZerati. But also, if you just want to see me complain about IU basketball refereeing, you can find me also there at uh, at SNZerati. But thank you for having me. It was a of lot course, of fun. you heard this guy. Uh, let's let's get this MF's uh, Ratatouille uh, uh, review viral. I don't even remember how you reviewed it. You probably gave it what a four, three and a half, something like that. A five because it's what it deserves as Pixar's best film. There's somebody. Isn't there somebody <clears throat> you forgot to ask? <laughs> <laughs> okay uh oh i'm jason daphnis uh i help me with this podcast not very well but i do it uh you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus you can find our podcast uh, you fucking wait you lip slacking motherfucker um <clears throat> you can find our podcast at try love podcast on twitter you can find oh and email try at gmail.com we check that as often as we can that's a lie i'm ex marking with my fingers he's slurping his drink as we get to the outro go to tryline.org get tickets to the rest of the movies in the uh, 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 prototypes for the rom-com series that is december 2022 at the trilon uh, and also for a number of series coming up in the new year including into the 21st century dystopia i've already talked to a couple of people who want to be on this podcast for episodes on those uh, please check out the schedule. Let us know if you'd like to talk about them or if you're just going to be there because we will probably be there too. Uh, find us on Twitter at Trial Podcast. Find the Trial at Trial Cinema and at Trial.org. Find me at nintendoofus.com.org.gov.uk.edu. That was literally the longest. It wasn't. It, I had to have been in a longer one. Maybe. Uh, my name is Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease as I guess a stinger uh, for the end of this episode. Edward G. Robinson's last film credit, Soylent Green. Once I was happy, but now I'm forlorn. Like an old coat that is tattered and torn. Left in this wide world to weep and to mourn. Betrayed by your maiden, her king. Oh, this maid that I loved, she was handsome. And I tried all I knew her to please, but I never could please her one quarter so well as the men and the flying trapeze. He flew through the air with the crazy the daring young men on the flying trapeze. His actions are
in Alaska. <laughs> I went to this fellow. Look at the nice and I'll see that you get your design. His thumb to his nose, he put up with a sneer. He sneered once again and said, Greatest of these, the daring young men of my family.